And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Because you're doing it as an outward expression, but it's not coming from your heart. You see, God doesn't want you to do things because it's outward expressed. He wants you to do things because it's in your heart. But last week, I started the series on worship, the priority of the believer. And we highlighted just a few points such as substitutes uh, for worship, like trends and programs and, you know, different things. And if we're not careful, we have the tendency to substitute those kinds of things for true worship. But at that in, and we talked about that in order to comprehend worship, one must understand God. In other words, you've, and you, and if you're going to truly worship the Lord, you've got to describe or discover who God really is. You've got to discover the grace and the love and the mercy that God has for you, that God is not up in heaven just waiting for you to do something wrong. God is up in heaven wanting to, to restore you and bring you back into a vital relationship with God. Do you realize that you were created for God? God created you for his pleasure. And God loves you with an impeccable love. And so we talked about understanding God. We talked about what is worship. And we worship that which is worthy. That which is of great value to us is what we worship. And I have to ask the question, is God, do you consider God something of great value? Something of great importance? Something that's so important of your, in your life that you just don't want to let him go? Do you consider him that of great value? And worship is transformational. When you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, it does something in you. It really does something in you. And, and, and so we talked about these kind of things about worship last week. And, and, but this week, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture found in John, the fourth chapter, starting at verse 19. And this is a dialogue between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. Now, if you understand history and you understand Bible times, and, and, and you've you got to understand that the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. Now, listen, God created everyone equal. God doesn't look down on anyone. We're all equal in the eyes of God, and, and, and there's no big eyes and little U's or whatever. We're all equal in the eyes of God. You know, you say, well, why did God choose the Israelites? God chose the Israelites, who are very few in number. He chose them to reveal his plan of salvation to the world. He was, they were just a tool that God chose to reveal the plan of salvation to the world. And so God chose them. Now, as you go through this, Jesus begins to have a dialogue of this woman that's come to the well to draw water. And the thing about this woman that came to draw water at the well, she came when no one else was there. Because the Jews and everyone else looked down on her because she was a Samaritan, and also she had been married five times. And the man that she was with was not her husband. So, you know, in the Jews, I mean, in the eyes of the Jews and in the eyes of most people, she was just not very light. 
did not want to be associated with. And so she kind of went to the well when no one was there but Jesus. And this is kind of the dialogue that they begin to have. He said, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Our fathers, the Samaritans, we worshiped in this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is Jerusalem. You got to go to the temple. If you're going to worship God, you got to go to the temple. That's where true worship takes place. That's what the Jews believed. That's what they thought. And so Jesus speaks or responds, and he says, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain or on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. It came through the lineage of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, or spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, as we go through this dialogue, I, I want us to kind of get something. As believers, as believers of God in Christ, we are called to worship God in spirit and truth. But you may wonder, how can I worship God today in my daily life? How can I worship God at home or on my job or wherever I may be? The good news is that worship is a powerful spiritual exercise in any believer's life and it plays a vital role, it played a vital role in the Israelites, and it plays a vital role in us. For example, the Israelites won their first battle after entering the promised land by doing what? Praising and worshiping. They praised and they worshiped God. When they surrounded the town of Jericho, they marched around it for six days, one time each day. And on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. They gave a loud shout and they began to holler. They began to praise the Lord. And God brought down the walls and gave the town of Jericho into their hands. If you look in the New Testament, Paul and Silas were released from prison because they were praising and worshiping God in prison. In stocks and bonds, they were worshiping, and God all of a sudden shook the jail, shook the prison, and when they were in, the stocks fell off, and they were able to lift up their hands and worship God. But they worshiped God even in the stocks. So this morning, I want us to look at worship from the Old Testament and then after Christ, the Messiah came. And I believe that you and I will discover that what God expected in the old is pretty much the same today in the new. 
and how to apply this to our lives. Now, don't lose me there. We're not going back under the law. We're not going to go back and kill calves and sacrifice animals and sprinkle blood. We're not going back to that. But I want us to look at worship. You see, the first place we find worship mentioned in the Bible is Genesis, the 22nd chapter. In Genesis, the 22nd chapter, it is linked to two other words that are also mentioned in this chapter. And we're going we're gonna to kind of go there and read in just a moment. That, but it's linked to two other words that's, that's there, this word worship. And the words are love and obedience. Love and obedience. In other words, all three of these words, worship, love, and obedience are inseparable. You can't worship without love. You can't worship without obedience. And you can't love without worship. And so they're inseparable words that we want to kind of break down and look at. They are found in the context of Abraham's testing. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the promised heir to God. Now you think, why in the world would God do that? Why would God ask Abraham? That's, that is just absurd. That is something that no kind, loving God would ever ask anyone to do is sacrifice their son to him. Now remember... This is a test, okay? But you need to understand that there are going to be times in your life when you will be tested by God. But when you're tested by God, you're going to be tempted by the devil. You're going to be tempted. A lot of times there are tests that come our way, and these tests are from God, and the test is to show us, here, it's not to show God, it's to show us, to show us how we are in our relationship with God. God knows our hearts. God knows everything about us. But sometimes we don't know our hearts. And when God allows a test to come our way, the enemy will always use that as an opportunity to tempt you to do something contrary to what God is asking. And so we find that God asked Isaac to sacrifice his son. Now, and I, I, want, I want to be understood today. We worship, we worship because we desire to be obedient to the one we love. We worship him corporately together because we worship him personally or individually. And worship, the Hebrew word for worship in Genesis 22 is shakah. It's a Hebrew word called shakah. Now, there's a meaning to that word shakah, and it means loudly. When you worship, worship loudly. But it's much deeper than just worshiping loudly. You see, we find in the Old Testament, it is a picture of someone bowing, kneeling, 
stooping or prostrating themselves on the ground before God. And in the Old Testament days, this is how they would worship God. They would literally bow or kneel, stoop, or prostrate themselves before God. And it was a sign of worship. It was symbolic, God, that we are, we humble ourselves before you. We acknowledge that you are the great I am. We acknowledge that you're the sovereign God. And so you would do that. But the true meaning of the word goes much deeper than the the outward expression of worship. And it has preeminently to do with the heart. It has to do with the heart. And it is an inward attitude In fact, the acceptance of God of what we do in worship depends on the attitude of your heart. Now follow me. You see in the first chapter of Isaiah, we find Isaiah speaking, or God is speaking through Isaiah, and the Israelites were going through the form of worship. They were going through the motions of worship. They were kneeling, they were prostrating, they were bowing before God, and and they were going through the form of worship, but their hearts were not in it. In fact, this is what he said. In verse 15 of the first chapter, he said, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Because you're doing it as an outward expression, but it's not coming from your heart. You see, God doesn't want you to do things because it's outward expressed. He wants you to do things because it's in your heart. God wants true worship. God required his people to have shakah hearts. Hearts that responded to who he was in love. And so we find this story in Genesis 22 where God asked Abraham to take the thing that's dearest to him and sacrifice it on the altar. In fact, I won't read the story, but if you go to Genesis 22nd chapter, Abraham gets his son, takes the servants with him, loads everything up, and goes into a mountain, and there... He is going to offer his son as a sacrifice because that's what God asked him to do. Why? Why would God do that? Because you see that the dearest thing to the heart of Abraham that was physical or tangible was Isaac. And my question to you and I today, what is the dearest thing to our heart that is tangible? What is it? You see, if we're not careful, those things that are dear to our heart that are tangible, God might ask us to lay them on the altar. And it's a test to see if you really love God first or more than anything else. And you see, it was a test. God knew, God knew, you see, you got to understand, God knew Abraham's response. And this was a test, not so much for God, but it was a test for Abraham. I want you to see what's in your heart. I want to know, I want you to describe or or show me where your true love is. 
I don't believe God would have asked him to sacrifice his son had he known that he would have done it. He knew he wasn't going to do it, but he wanted Abraham to know where his first love was. And so there's times that God may ask us to sacrifice something on the altar that's very dear to us because he wants you to know what's in your heart. Because the reality is none of us really know our hearts until God asks us to sacrifice something. And then when God asks me to sacrifice something, then then we begin to discover, oh God, there's something wrong here because I'm struggling giving it up. I'm struggling handing it over to you. I'm struggling because Lord, I don't want to give it up. And all of us have those things in our lives. We do. We have things in our lives that we just don't want to give up. And God is saying, I want you to love me first. I want you to love me more than these. I want you to to understand that I created all of these things for you to enjoy. I created all of these things for you to have. I created all of these things for you. But I want to be number one in your life. I want you to love me more than anything else in the world. And so he asked Abraham, Would you be willing to sacrifice your son? The dearest thing, the promised heir, would you be willing to sacrifice it for me? And Abraham was. And of course, you know the story. If you don't know the story, you'll find that when Abraham got ready to offer his son, that the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, don't you touch your son. Don't you touch a hair on his head. Don't you touch him. Because now you've shown your love to me. You see, Abraham was showing his love to his God, to his father, that he was number one in his life. That's why when, when the, 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 the Sadducees or the Pharisees came and said, Jesus, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so I want to ask you this question this morning, not as a question of condemning or convicting, but I want us to ask the question, is it love for God that motivates your worship? What is it that motivates you to gather corporately and worship the Lord? What is it that motivates you to give? What is it that motivates you to serve? What is it that motivates whatever type of worship you're doing from the Father? Is it the love that God has given you for him? And I think this is a good question to ask. Because you see, sometimes people go to church for other reasons than for a profound love of God. Wise are the Christians who from time to time are willing to check up on what motivates them to worship. Why do I do the things I do? Do I do it so I can draw a paycheck? Listen, if a pastor does what he does so he can draw a paycheck, he needs to get out of business. If your worship leader is doing what he does because he gets paid, he needs to quit. If you're doing what you're doing so you can get a blessing from God, you need to stop. 
You need to do what you do because you have a profound love for God. I understand and I know that my God laid down his son's life, sacrificed his son's life so that I could have eternal life. And it's that profound love that God for me that makes me to respond that God, I want to love you. I want to give. I want to serve. I want to worship. I want to do whatever you want me to do because I love you. Not because I have to. I want to do it because I love you. I get to do it. And that's what God wants. We find in, in Revelation, the second chapter, that he, he, Jesus was re, uh, correcting a church, rebuking, correcting, whatever term you want to use, but he was rebuking or correcting a church. And he said, listen, I commend you. I commend you for all the good things that you're doing. I commend you for all these wonderful things. But there's a problem. You've left your first love. I want you to love me first. And the things that you do, you do because you love me. That's what love does. I've discovered this in my own personal life with my wife. My wife amazes me. And I know I brag on her. Sometimes I pick on her and sometimes I, you know, make fun or whatever on my messages. And she says, oh, you made me look bad today. I, I, I really don't ever, I'm just real. I'm just real. But I have, to tell you, I have more love for my wife today than I did when I married her. Because it's amazing that, you know what she did this morning? I get up, I usually get up first on Sunday mornings, but this morning she got up before I did. And she says, Randy, do you want me to go in there and, 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 and fix you some muffins? Now you tell me what lady wants to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and start cooking. Not too many. But you know she does that almost every morning. She gets up and says, do you want me to fix you some muffins? And of course, I usually respond most of the time, no, I can eat a Pop-Tart, I'll eat whatever, you know. And no, you don't need to do that. But every once in a while, I'll say, man, that sounds so good. And you know what she does? She'll go right to the kitchen and make a fresh batch of muffins and put them together and put them in pans and cook them. Sometimes she even makes homemade biscuits. Now, why would she do that? Why? I never want my wife, I, hear me, I never want my wife to feel like she has to do something. I want her to do things because she loves me. And I believe with all my heart she offers to do that because she loves me. And God is saying the same thing to us in a much more broader scale. I want you to do the things that you do because your motivation is not one of fear. Your motivation is not one of duty. Your motivation is not one, well, I, if I do this, I'll get a blessing. Listen, if you're doing it to get a blessing, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I want you to do it because you love me. Even if I don't give you nothing in return, I want you to do it because you love me. That's what true love is. It's a sacrificial love. And we, we do that in our love. And so Jesus said, listen, church, you've done a lot of great things. He told the children of Israel, you've done a lot of your things, but I want you to do it because you love me and not for any other reason. And the, the, the third thing I want you to see is we get a picture of Abraham that obeyed. He's ready to obey God 
at whatever he asked him to do. And it was a lifestyle, hear me, it was a lifestyle with Abraham that began when God told him to leave his country, to depart and lead his family. It was a lifestyle. I want to tell you, worship is a lifestyle. It's not something you do on Sunday morning or you just do on Sunday morning. It's not something you do when you just come to the four walls of this church. Worship is a lifestyle of where you're dedicating your heart to God and you're motivated by the love that he has for you. You're motivated by that love and responding, God, I want to do it. I want to love you. I want to worship you, whether I'm in church or whether I'm in the marketplace, whether I'm on my job. Lord, I want to be obedient to you in everything. Worship. It was a lifestyle, and it started with him leaving his country and relatives, going to a place he had never heard of before. He demonstrated one of the characteristics of a true worship was obedience. And obedience is central to worship. We find out later on that God laid down some requirements or expectations and guidelines for worship. God would deliver the children of Israel from bondage and slavery and bring them into the promised land. And on that route to the promised land, he gave them some guidelines for worship. God has given us some guidelines for worship. But listen, he gave us guidelines for worship because our natural tendency, the propensity of our nature is to go back into bondage. God has given me a life of freedom. He's given me a life of liberty. And he says, Randy, I want you to live. I want you to live and experience that liberty and that freedom to its fullest. So I'm going to give you some guidelines to live by because I want you to live and maintain and remain in that, in that freedom. Because you have the propensity, I have the propensity to go back to our old nature. Every one of us do. I was reading an article yesterday, or it might have been Friday, I was reading an article about why pastors that lead churches, when they get out of leading churches, they have a problem going to church. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Leaders, you, people that lead worship, and they get out of that leadership position, they have a problem going and worshiping God under other leaders. And I thought, that, that's crazy. And as I read that article, I thought, oh my goodness. I see where every one of us have the propensity to go back to the old nature. Even pastors, spiritual leaders, worship leaders, all of us have that propensity. And so God says, listen, I'm going to give you some guidelines because I want you to remain in the liberty and the freedom that I've delivered you from, the bondage I've delivered you from. And I want you to live in that freedom. And so I'm going to give you some guidelines. And if you will follow my guidelines, if you follow my commands, if you'll do what I'll say, it will prevent you from going back into bondage. That's how much God loves you and I. And so God makes these, gives the Israelites these commands. But before he gives the commands, he says, I am the Lord. 
I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this is the opening statement that would be foundational to everything else he would do, they would do. And there are many places in the Old Testament where God preceded what he was about to do with to say, I am the Lord your God who delivered you. They were constantly forgetting what God delivered them from. Doesn't that relate to you and me? I have to be reminded daily what God delivered me from. I do. I have to be reminded daily what God delivered me from. Because I'm going to tell you, my flesh is real. My flesh is real. And there's times, there are times that, can I be transparent? This week, listen, I've been working here seven days a week. I don't know how many days. I haven't had a day off. And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I should be kicked in the tail for doing that. Um, But anyway, (laughs) This week, I came in on Tuesday morning, and I came in for prayer partners, and we had prayer, and then after prayer partners, I looked at Lacey, and I said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to get on my motorcycle, and I am going to go ride. I want the wind blowing in my face. I'm leaving. And I'll tell you how I felt. Can I just be honest how I felt? I hated this place. Now, I'm not talking about you, (laughs) the building. I had been shut up in this building for seven days a week for I don't know how many days, and I didn't want to see my office. I didn't want to see the sanctuary. I didn't. You're, listen, you're thinking, well, my goodness, you're, 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 you're a terrible pastor. No, I had been shut up that I just didn't want to see this. That's how I felt. Have you ever felt that way about your job? You teachers, you go to the classroom, and during the first year, it's great, but about springtime, I hate this place. You that work out at the base, oh, I can imagine how you're feeling out there at the base. I hate this place. I'm tired. I'm real. I'm just going to be real with you, and and, 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 and it's okay to be real. That's why every day, God has to remind me of who he is and what he did for me because I forget, especially when I get sick, especially when my world is falling apart, especially when chaos is ramping in our world today, I kind of forget who God is. And so God kind of reminds me every day, Randy, I am the Lord thy God who delivered you from bondage from slavery, from sin. And when God reminds me of that, it makes me just want to say, God, oh God, things are not going well right now, but Lord, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you loved me so much. And even though I have the propensity to go back to slavery, God, you loved me so much to remind me what you brought me from and what you delivered me from. Lord, that you sent your son to die on a cross for my sin, that I could have eternal life and that I could have a relationship with you and that I could have freedom that I'll never be able to experience in any other way except through you. And God does that. He does that for us. And I'm going to tell you, 
I want to do what he says because of what he's done for me. And then, of course, in the Old Testament, there was the place, and I got to hurry. On the heels of giving them some guidelines because he had delivered them, he said, now in Jerusalem, or there's going to be a temple. It wasn't at that time. But he, he created a temple, and he told the Israelites, now listen, this is where my presence is going to be. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. My presence, if you want to worship, you come to this temple and you worship here at this temple because that's where my presence is going to be. There is no true worship. Hear me. There is no true worship without a relationship between the one being worshiped and the worshiper himself. Worship is a place of meeting. A time of interaction between God's people and the object of their worship, God himself. I've discovered something. I can worship God anywhere. Now, I know there's a lot of people that are still viewing out there online, and we miss you. We miss you. We miss you. I miss the fellowship. You know what I really miss? I just miss your fellowship. I'm just going to be honest. I miss the hugs, and I won't hug you or anything, but I miss the hugs and just the fellowship. But you know what? If God takes away this building, I can still worship. Because the object is God himself. And worship is a, is a meeting place where I interact with God. I enjoy interacting with God among you. And God tells us, God tells us to not to forsake ourselves, to gather ourselves. Why? So we can encourage one another. I enjoy that. I miss that. And I enjoy it so much when we get to do that. But you got to understand, true worship is where you and I individually interact with God. We worship Him. So the place of worship is not this building, though we gather here and we worship him together, but true worship comes from the heart wherever you're at. I discovered something. I can worship God when I'm working. I can. I can worship God because God just wants me to walk in love and obedience. And I can worship God. And of course, in the New Testament, David, uh, David, Derek, if you'll get ready. In the New Testament, we find that things change a little bit. Christ the Messiah has come. The one in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells has been fleshed out to you and I. And how does that affect our worship today? Is it going to change? What worship meant in the past as taught in the Old Testament days, worship still means in the present. We don't sacrifice because Jesus sacrificed. We no longer sacrifice calves and sheep and bulls or whatever. We no longer sprinkle the blood. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the final sacrifice. His blood was sufficient to wash away every sin and every stain out of our lives. There's no reason for anyone in the world to ever offer a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, because Jesus, his sacrifice, his blood was enough. But when we worship today, we worship in Christ, through Christ, and 
to Christ. He's the sacrifice. He's the great I am. He's the high priest today. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful that you don't have to come to me and say, Randy, I need to confess to you my sins. I'm going to say, don't confess them to me. I don't need to know what you did wrong. I don't need to know what's going on. But I tell you who to confess them to. You confess them to the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is at right hand of God, making intercession for you according to the will of God to rush away and forgive every sin in your life. It's not important that I know your sin. It's not important that you confess to me. It's important that you confess to him, the high priest. And so today, we offer our worship to God through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave himself for us. And when God wants to speak to me today, he speaks through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and let me tell you, worship is so important for you as a believer. The battle, the battle today that Satan is trying to get is your worship. He's fighting for your worship. He fought for Jesus' worship. When Jesus was being tempted, Satan came to him and he said, listen, if you'll worship me, if you'll worship me, I'll give you everything that you see. I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. You worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. Satan knew that if he could get Jesus to worship him, he'd have won the victory. But Jesus responded, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only him shalt thou worship. Satan was defeated. And I want you to know that when you make it your purpose and you make it your intent from a heart of love, not out of duty, not because you feel like you have to, but God, I'm going to worship you today because I love you. Even when I don't feel like it, there are days I don't feel like worshiping. But I become intentional and I say, God, I'm going to worship you today because I love you. Because of what you've done. That's the heart that God wants today. A heart of worship. The attitude of the heart that God looks for has not changed. Only the method. Sometimes I will kneel. Sometimes I'm going to be honest, I'll sit in my chair in the office. And I'll just kind of lean back and, and begin to worship God. Sometimes I'll kneel. Sometimes I'll stand with my hands raised. Sometimes I'll jump up and down. Sometimes I get loud. Sometimes I just sit in silence. The method is not important. What's important is your heart. And so I want to challenge you today. I, I really do want to challenge you. This is not to be a, a message of conviction, but it's a challenge. God is my worship motivated out of love? Do I do the things that I do because I love you? Do I give because I love you? Do I 
serve because I love you? Do I come because I, I love you? Or am I doing it out of duty? And listen, if you're doing it out of duty, it's drudgery. It's taxing. It's laborious. But when you do something out of love, you don't mind doing it at all. And that's the worship that God wants in spirit from the depths of your heart out of love and in truth in obedience. And I tell you today, I want you and I to grasp this, to remind ourselves every day what God has done in our lives. I think about some of you teachers. I told somebody one time, they, they were talking to me, boy, I wish I, wish I could, uh, you're, you're a pastor, you're full-time ministry, and boy, I just wish I could do that. And, and I think they were a teacher, and I said, I wish I had your job. I wish I had your job. And they looked at me and I said, I said, you've got a prime field to share the love of Jesus Christ. What if you begin to go to work every day, Tina? And I'm not picking at you, Tina. But what if you begin to go to work every day and you thought, God, what a great opportunity. Today you've given me a day to worship you. And I'm going to do it because I love you. It begins to change the whole outlook of your day, does it not? It really does. You know, if you look at it as a job and as a drudgery, then you just kind of don't want to go. But all of a sudden, when you see it, God, you're giving me an opportunity to pour into these kids. You've given me an opportunity to pour into the people that are out on base, our military, that are serving our country. God, you've given me an opportunity to go out there and to pour into them, God. Oh, God, I want to thank you for that. And when you begin to see that, and you begin to feel that, it changes everything. And that's what I want. I want a church that is joyous, that is happy, that is zealous, that is serving, that is giving. Not because they have to, but because of the love of Christ they have in their life. Now, sometimes you do need a vacation. <laughs> and it's okay to take a vacation. It was a great day, Tuesday, when I rode. It was a great day. I came back and I was good. That was good. I just got away, and I just needed to get away. God knows that about you. That's why you need the Sabbath. Tuesday was my Sabbath <laughs> to get away. But I want you to worship. And the worship that God desires today is for you to realize who He is and what He's done. I am the Lord thy God who hath delivered you from bondage from slavery and from sin. God, I thank you. I thank you. I'd like for you to stand. And I want us to go into a time of worship. Not because I've asked you. Not because Derek and the team is up here to lead you. But I want you to say, would you repeat this with me? Would you repeat this with me? You are the Lord my God who hath delivered me from my sin and bondage. Can we see it again? You are the Lord my God who hath delivered me from my sin and my bondage. 
Now I tell you, when I begin to think about that, you are the Lord my God that has delivered me from my sin and my bondage. You have set my feet upon a rock and his name is Jesus. You have given me life. Now I want you to worship with Derek and the team. I want you to sing this, not because they're singing it, but I want you to sing this to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you have delivered me from my sin and bondage. And so today, I want to proclaim your greatness and tell of your goodness today. Can you do this with him? Can you join us together and worship? There. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.